Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Without the Black Panther, Wakanda will fall. By bringing peace covered in it. That can't be good. Excerpts from the movie Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. The first Black Panther movie was a huge hit. Can they put lightning back at the bottle and have another blockbuster, especially minus the main character? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Friday afternoon, November the 18th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Ted Geese will join us to review the movie Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. We'll spend some time with Pastor Chris Rosebro in our feature This Week in Pop Christianity, talking about Apostle Catherine Crick's teaching, Touch Not God's Anointed. And then we'll round everything off talking with Dr. Jennifer Roback-Morse of the Ruth Institute about an Associated Press story on Catholic views on abortion. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. How is this particular franchise going to do minus the breakout star of the original Black Panther movie, Chadwick Boseman? This is the question. I think this is where, you know, it, it kind of remains to be seen. I went and saw this in the theater, this newest one, and then I also went and re-watched the original one. And, wow, these are like a, a mile apart. Uh, they're, they're, they're very different films from each other, and one of the biggest parts of that is the absence of Chadwick Boseman. I mean, he's in this film with some archival footage he's talked about because this is a film about grief and loss surrounding the character of T'Challa, who is the uh, king of Wakanda and the Black Panther, as was established previously. But also, it is about grief and loss around the actor Chadwick Boseman, who people didn't know how sick he was while he was doing this role. So his death kind of came as a bit of a surprise to everybody. And I think that part of what's going on in this film is Ryan Coogler, the director and major writer on the project, also dealing with the death of Chadwick Boseman. That kind of overshadows everything, just as it does in real life when, you know, somebody close to you dies so that's seeping into this movie so as a result like i mean he just he isn't in it very much like there's a little bit at the beginning a little bit at the end that that deals specifically with the fact that he's died and but it's lacking i guess the character that he was able to 
bring to the screen in terms of T'Challa and as the Black Panther was one that was very conscientious, very kind. He was a merciful king of this fictional country and full of optimism and uh, kind of looking forward to the future with that kind of optimism. And that's all kind of shattered at this point. So unless they can get the spirit of that back somehow moving forward, I don't know. Like, I don't know how how well this is going to, the franchise is going to do. And I'm not sure if everybody is going to collectively be on board with the direction and tone of this current film. Let's talk about the intended audience. I may be stereotyping the comic book superhero audience here, but I'm guessing, and I think I'm pretty safe in guessing, that the vast majority of the audience here is male and probably trending a little bit younger. Certainly not my age, but trending younger. And from what I've read of your review, it doesn't sound like they're offering that audience much. In the comic book industry, I think they've tried to diversify their audience over the last like 15, 20 years to to make it more to be a little less like what you're talking about. The character of Namor, the Submariner, who is the sort of villain in this film for the most part, that character came onto the scene in the 1930s. So comic books in some shape or form have been around a long time. So it's possible that you can have somebody in their 80s who is a comic book fan. You know, like that's not impossible. And I realize that years and years and years ago, People would be fans of this kind of stuff when they were kids and then they would decide maybe they would transition through like certain characters like Dick Tracy or Superman or Batman might seep into more of their adult life. But a lot of people would eventually kind of move away from stuff that was directed towards children. And I think, too, over the years, they've kind of broadened that to allow for audiences to continue to grow past childhood. So what does that audience look like now? The way that they've been broadening comic book audiences or intending or trying to diversify the audience, you know, is that really landing the way that they're expecting? Are the people who normally would be behind all of these products still as excited about them as they were in the past? It is a bit of a stereotype to think that it's going to be younger men only that are interested in these And I think that probably you're going to have more people who are watching these films that don't actually even read comic books at all. The source material is out there, but it's not something people are pouring over the way they used to in the past. But the films, they're still watching. So I would imagine when you're making a big tentpole movie like this or a big blockbuster, well, that's the hope, movie like this, you want to have a diverse, broad audience as many people as you could possibly have involved in in seeing the film. And that original Black Panther film, I think, had that. One thing that it had that I think was really interesting, and I saw this again by going back and watching it, was it had a real equality in terms of like the the female and male characters, that these these characters were supportive of each other. They were involved in each other's uh, relationships and and there was something in there for everybody i think that men and women young girls and boys like 
everybody could come to that movie and enjoy it and see strong characters, both male and female. And there's certainly seems to be some kind of shift going on between that film and this film where there's maybe less in this film, conventionally speaking, for lots of uh, the male audience to grab hold of. In that vein, just go into a little more detail on how men are portrayed in this film. As is often the case, dear listener, there's going to be some spoilers, and uh, you hear this almost every time, but here we go. So I'm going to throw out a couple of examples. So there's an example near the early part of the film where there was a thwarted theft you know, that happens. And the women warriors of Wakanda stop this group of, I think they're French mercenaries, government black ops guys from stealing some stuff from a, a Wakandan laboratory of some kind. So then they're all marched in as captives and forced to kneel in front of their female captors in f- front of a UN panel that's discussing trade agreements with Wakanda. And Queen Ramonda, played by Angela Bassett, is there. And, and you know, so you get that kind of a thing. So oftentimes in the film, the men are either not central to what's going on. They're kind of pushed off to the side. Maybe they're put into positions where they're forced to yield to uh, women. Very literally at one point, I, I don't want to spoil how it all kind of comes together completely in the end in terms of the heroes and antagonists. But that is stuff that's going on there. And there's a character of Everett Ross, played by Martin Freeman, who in the first film, there's a couple comments here and there about him, though he's really an active character in the film and uh, part of the plot and an important part of the whole story. Here he's kind of demoted, like not just to like being a side actor, but like to being like a third string character in the show. And, you know, he's arrested by his ex-wife and handcuffed and like taken away and spoken of and treated poorly, even though he had been an integral part of turning the tide in the story that was unfolding in the first Black Panther film. So there's no gratitude towards that character from his female counterparts within the film. So I, I think those are some just examples. One thing that struck me, and you'll see this over and over again, and I think the perceptive viewer will notice this, is that there's lots of films, like even if you take like Star Wars, like the original Star Wars film, it's a male-centric cast. You have Carrie Fisher in there as Princess Leia, and you have a couple of characters here and there that are women, but mostly they're all male characters. And it's almost like that same ratio is used in this, but flip it around. So the majority of the characters, the, the central upfront characters that you're going to see in this film are the female characters, and the ancillary characters are the male characters. So like that, that is a definitely a choice that's being made. And part of it is the family is grieving the death of T'Challa. So it's going to be about Ramonda, his mother, who's now queen of Wakanda, and then his little sister, Shuri, who is the scientist character and who ends up having to grapple with the idea of taking on the mantle of Black Panther. So I want to 
hang on to something you said there earlier in that answer, and that is, I don't know which of the prequels of Star Wars did this, because honestly, they were all forgettable for me, but one of them went in kind of just bogged down in trade agreements, and I can't remember what it all was, but it was very boring. It wasn't the typical Star Wars fair. It probably only really appealed to the people who actually concern themselves with what kind of trade agreements would take place in an empire with a rebellion. Does this one fall into that same trap with the issue kind of being who will trade with who this precious metal? Yeah, it's the vibranium is the the key thing again in this film. So listen, that kind of stuff that we're talking about, like that was from that movie, The Phantom Menace, the Star Wars one, like trade agreements or like, I don't know, the minutia, the minutia of like bureaucracy or whatever like that stuff can be done in an interesting way it's not impossible but then you have to really figure out how to do that so i would say this this new disney plus tv show Andor, which we talked about last week and hopefully we'll talk again about once it all wraps up is actually taking some of that bureaucratic kind of behind the scenes stuff and making it interesting so it's not impossible to do it but you you have to figure out how to and I think that in this film, some of that stuff is kind of ponderous and not the best part of the film for sure, and could be on the boring side of things. Now, the movie is long, so it's like two hours and 41 minutes long or something. And then you add in your trailers and commercials and stuff at the beginning. You're looking at a three-hour experience at the movie theater. So, you know, like for kids and stuff, you know, you want to have maybe some rip-roaring excitement and a fast-paced show. This is not the case. Like this is, there's action in it. There's some set pieces and things, but a lot of this is the dialogue and the talking and the working through issues. And you have to figure out how to do it in a way that's going to appeal to your target audience. And if your expectations are super low, like... My wife, Michelle, her expectations were super low going into this. So she really enjoyed the fact that there was an actual story there. And there is an actual story unfolding in the movie. But it's maybe not exactly in keeping with other examples, even from within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Another kind of peculiar thing, just to dive into this whole trade agreements and stuff like that. So how can you do it in a positive way? I, I think that if you think back to the previous Black Panther film and you look at that mid-credit scene that they throw in there, you know, like Marvel always has these mid and post-credit scenes. They have this scene in there where Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa goes to the UN and explains how, yes, in the past, Wakanda had been, you know, an isolationist nation that didn't share its technology and vibranium and everything with the world, but now things are going to be different. They are going to get out there and they're going to bring what they can to the world in this kind of optimistic, hopeful, and nice speech that he gives at the UN. At the beginning of this film, basically his mother just shows up and says, we're not doing any of that. We're done with all of you. So she just instantaneously breaks everything that was optimistic and set up at the end of the last film. And again, like that was that little scene, you can find it on YouTube is actually it's trade agreements and all of that kind of stuff. And it's kind of boring. It's a political speech, but it's done in this kind of positive, upbeat, exciting way. So it does resonate. This film gets all that out of the way and then gets on with this other story, which isn't really about 
it doesn't go where the the previous film was heading and that's fine i mean you can change directions or you can take a break from one thing i just have some questions as to you know where is it all going in the end is this like this like a dark patch in the middle and they're going to get back to that optimism or what this is this is part of it so some people are going to find some of that stuff in the course of this film to be kind of maybe not super exciting because it isn't like often very exciting and you got to figure out how to make it exciting we're reviewing the movie black panther wakanda forever with pastor ted geese when we return we'll talk about the other hidden civilization in the movie Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This new resource will help you navigate God's Word with clarity and confidence. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting lcms.org slash stewardship. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. I'm Pastor Watson. Are you tired of entertainment and in need of the peace that passes human understanding? I invite you to Augsburg Lutheran Church in Shawnee, Kansas to receive the gifts of Jesus. Augsburg is scriptural, traditional, historical, sacramental, and reverent. The Church of the Apostles, the Councils, and the Reformers wants to be your church family also. For more information, visit us at AugsburgLutheranChurch.org. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're reviewing the movie Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. Ted, uh, go into a little more detail about this other xenophobic and hidden civilization in the movie. Yeah, this is kind of a peculiar thing. It's like, I don't know how how you really kind of nail all this down. Like xenophobia, I, I use that term in the review because that's what Wakanda is. Like they have not ever warmed up to the outside world. They stand by even as close neighbors go through major strife. And it's a talking point or a a point in the story of the first film. 
and it's a little part of what's going on with this film too. They're very suspicious of the outside world. And for some reason, that kind of level of nationalism, quote unquote, or, you know, xenophobia is generally speaking, seen to be like a, a flaw for modern nations in our world today, right? But this is Wakanda and Wakanda's, they're the good guys. So it's not wrong when we do it or something like that's a peculiar element of this story all of this is all predicated and they they lay it out in the first film and it's part of this film too is that they lay it out that all of this is predicated on the fact that an asteroid had hit the earth that was full of this vibranium and it's that's what they're using to build their civilization and the asteroid of course didn't fall everywhere it just fell in this one little spot in africa and that's what they had set up so what ends up happening, though, in this film is that there was a second asteroid, and the second asteroid fell in the Atlantic Ocean, kind of off the coast of Mesoamerica, so like around Central America. And this other civilization came together around the 1500s. As the conquistadors and other Europeans were showing up, they utilized some underwater plant that was growing that had the imbued in it this i don't know the qualities of the vibranium and they used it to create this aquatic civilization so the the people have blue skin they live live underwater they kind of swim and breathe and have their city under there and everything so this is this is this other civilization that has been is part of this story now. So it's Talokan is the name of the place. And this is where Namor, the Submariner, is the king of this place. And in the comic books, apparently, it's going to be called Atlantis. And again, we've talked about this before, DC and Marvel are always competing. So DC has Aquaman and Marvel has Namor, the Submariner. And they're similar in some ways. And in this case, though, they've really leaned into this kind of Mesoamerican kind of ethos with all of it, even to the point where he's called a god, and it's that kind of quasi-quadal kind of like feather god kind of a thing of the Aztecs is sort of like what he's being modeled after in some ways. So this is uh, very much like a again, it's it's not an American centric story. The previous film had this character of Eric Killmonger played by Michael B. Jordan, and it was like America and Wakanda. So the story was all about America and Wakanda. This America is like the third thing. It's way down the list, and it's really this kind of these two ancient worlds that have been hidden away for centuries that are now in conflict with each other. And Namor basically comes to them because the Americans have found a way to detect vibranium, and he's worried that they're going to find his hidden kingdom so he wants the wakandans either to join him to fight against the world for past atrocities and potential future atrocities and if they don't fight with him then he's going to destroy them so he can just do it on his own this is the antagonistic story that gets set up where does this entire story fall in i don't know what to call it because obviously the plans for making these movies go on into infinity but where does it fall in the bigger scope of the rest of the franchise's movies? 
This is called the Multiverse Saga, apparently. And I, I think that people who have been watching these films or paying a little bit of attention to it have seen a bunch of films that are dealing with this idea of multiverse. And dear listener, if you're wondering about what multiverse is and the actual scientific stuff that it's based on, Issues Etc. did a just a bang up awesome interview about this. And you can probably type multiverse into the search engine and find it because it was great. The first films, the first three phases, they call each of these a phase, right? So the first three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe were called the Infinity Saga. And the Infinity Saga had all of the major characters introduced. All of these stories start to intertwine. You had the Avengers Assemble, uh, the first Avengers film. And then by the end of that, you set up the fact that there's this guy Thanos. And then phase two and three bring you along through to the big Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, kind of with the snap and all the rest of it kind of stuff at the end of that infinity saga so now we're into this multiverse saga and the multiverse saga is supposed to be kind of like three phases also and we've just hit the end of this first phase phase four and there's like seven films in that phase there's a couple things that i didn't watch because i i didn't have any desire to see this movie called the eternals when it came out i probably should watch it i probably will at some point but these, like the multiverse, uh, was it Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is one of these. The best of these ones probably would be the Spider-Man one, the most recent Spider-Man one. That was really, really good. But Thor Love and Thunder goes in there as well. This is all part of that. And even the, the TV shows too. So things like the What If season one, like there's the show What If, the Loki show the uh, moon knight show this recent she hulk attorney at law show these are all part of this multiverse saga and they've been introducing little bits of like how this all works so essentially the idea is is that there's just all of these kind of universes all stacked and they're all slightly different from each other and sometimes things get in from one place to the other place or portals get opened or things happen this film doesn't really have anything like that in it but it's here in this, what is referred to as the multiverse saga. So let's talk about a few pastoral concerns here, beginning with the fact that the main character of the previous film was some sort of priest of a panther cult that it looked to me like came down to ancestor worship of some form. Yeah, we talked a lot about the ancestor worship in our previous, the review of the first film. And yeah, this film still has all of that in it. There's some additional interesting twists maybe in this film. So the character of Sherry, who I mentioned was, you know, has to deal with the fact that she may need to take on the mantle of the Black Panther. They have this sort of, I don't know, DMT botanical drug that they use to enter the astral plane or the, the plane of the ancestors to talk to them. And uh, in the first film, all of it's destroyed so they're left to have to try to make a synthetic version of it. So Sherry, the uh, scientist character, the the sister of T'Challa, you know, she does eventually end up making this synthetic version of the flower that gives her the ability to go into the astral plane and talk to the ancestors. But they do throw some interesting things in. She's this scientist character, so... I guess, I don't know, like, is this something where people are obliged to say something like this? She has to say at some point that she doesn't 
even believe that it's possible to go into this, like for this ancestor worship thing. She's involved in the funerals. She's involved in the different rites and rituals of the religion, but she kind of doesn't believe that that you can even really actually talk to dead relatives inside this astral plane. She does end up going there. So that's part of the story. The other part of the story that's interesting is that she goes there and because Chadwick Boseman is deceased and they decide not to use the CGI kind of deep fake kind of thing or or however they might do it, they don't have her meet him, which would make logical sense. What they have her do is meet Michael B. Jordan's character, Killmonger, who is the villain from the previous film. So part of this is this kind of temptation towards vengeance and what you're going to do with that. Now, she as a character doesn't completely give in to vengeance, which is good. That's a positive thing within the film. But you have this interesting thing where you have this scientist who has a materialist worldview who doesn't think that this is even possible, who then has to confront the fact that it is. And even when she's about to do it, she doesn't do all of the ritual things that you saw in the previous Black Panther film that were there for part of the religious nature of the of the religion, but she just kind of does it in the laboratory or whatever, which then kind of brings it to a different kind of place. But this is part of it. So you have that element here in, in the film is this ancestor worship. And again, this is something that that exists out there in the world, even in places in Africa today. Viewers of the show will want to be careful about that because this is not a Christian perspective on the afterlife. And this is not what we believe teaching confesses going on in this way. So that's something for especially families with kids that watch this, that this should be the kind of thing that would garner a conversation about what is really going on in terms of what scripture promises when it comes to eternal life, death, resurrection, all of these kinds of things, like where the spirit is now between today and the last day of Christ's return. These are things that as Christian viewers, you want to bring and ask when you look at a movie like this. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. We're reviewing the movie Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. We'll get some more of his pastoral concerns about the film next. What can we learn from our Lutheran forefathers on how to face the challenges of a culture openly hostile to Christianity? Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled For Such a Time as This. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. You'll also find Pastor Will Whedon's article on the monthly Psalter, the free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, as we move farther along in St. Luke, we come to Jesus' genealogy, the first two temptations, the third temptation and the start of his ministry, the synagogue at Nazareth, and rejection. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider.
As we prepare for the Advent season this year, it's time for some contemplation. Your Christmas are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam, the glitter has dropped off, and they're being held together with toothpicks. Don't celebrate another Christmas hearkening back to the age of glitter balls. See Ad Crusom's beautifully designed Christmonds together with our book describing how they fit into the church year. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc., You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Gieschen. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry, It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. It is not clear exactly when David wrote Psalm 51, but the child that he and Bathsheba conceives dies. We do know that David and Bathsheba had another son shortly after the death of their first child. That second son's name was Solomon. Solomon becomes king after his father, David, one day. An ancestor of David and Solomon will be born who will be an even greater king than they were, Jesus. A little bit from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, 10 questions to ask every time you read the Bible. You can find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order 10 questions to ask every time you read the Bible, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We're reviewing the movie Black Panther, Wakanda Forever with Pastor Ted Geese. Ted, do you have any other pastoral concerns? Again, like uh, this is not unusual for Marvel, right? So, you know, you have characters like Thor, who's described as a god, characters like Loki. So you 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 have these these characters and Namor, the, the submariner, again, is described as being a god or like a small G god or whatever. So that is something that is also something to pay attention to. Another thing that is, I think, a, a large pastoral concern and this is buried in the post and uh, or the mid and post credit scenes of this film is that they introduce something. So there is this uh, Lapita Nyong'o who plays Nakia, this kind of Wakandan spy, and she was the love interest of 
T'Challa in the previous film. Now, they never get married, but they have her introduced to Shiri, played by Letitia Wright. At the end of the film, they have her present T'Challa's son. So T'Challa has had a son outside of wedlock with this Nakia, and he's basically T'Challa Jr. He's going to one day be the Black Panther. So I think that kind of undercuts the whole character arc of Shiri um, and her becoming the Black Panther. But the other thing that it does, and I think families should be careful about, is you have this very heroic, noble character who is kind and generous and great in that first film. And here they've gone and made him have a child out of Whitlock. Why are you doing that? And I'm going to add to that, why are you doing that when in the previous film, he comes from an intact family. Like his mother and father are, are married. You know, his dad dies. He becomes the, the king. His dad was the king. He becomes the king. He's got a sister. There's this kind of nuclear family that's all intact. And then you just, you don't have that happen for him. You know, I realize that it's it's complicated by the fact that the actor died and they want to make that so that the character also died. They don't recast the character, which they could do, but they have to get it in some way to have this kid show up. So apparently he has this child with her. The blip happens. He disappears. He comes back. He dies. The kid's like five years old at this point. And I just don't think this is great. I don't think that this is a great thing. And I wish that it wasn't part of this movie. And listen, I wouldn't be doing my job as a pastor if I wasn't mentioning this kind of thing out. So, you know, there's a passage from Hebrews that I think is good for people to remember. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That's from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. And of course, it's reflected in our catechism, as you might imagine, too. That, And when it comes to the, the sixth commandment, you don't really want to have your heroes. I, and I realize that, you know, you, like, they're not all going to be great. They're killing people as part of their their superhero activities and all the rest of it. But for whatever reason, this just like jumped out at me as being one of those things where I'm like, gee whiz, why do they have to do that? Why they have to do that? Is this some sort of commentary on, on the state of marriage? Is it supposed to be uh, something that would relate to uh, families that sadly have this as part of their experience? In a world where the optimistic, joyful, great thing would be for people to get married and then have children and not to create these complicated, challenging sort of relationships... You know, when that would be the case, why not have that? And I realize that these things can kind of create drama by doing it in this way. I don't know what what to make of that exactly, but I would like to ask the director. You asked a couple questions at the end of your review that I wanted you to answer here with just a few minutes that we have. You say, are these films morphing into lectures or are they still intended to be a form of popcorn escapism? What do you mean by that question? Well, this is the thing. I like we talked about like these two different uh, sagas so far, like the Infinity uh, Saga and now this Multiverse Saga. And what I'm kind of now that I've seen all seven of these films, I'm starting to feel like what's developed. And I don't know if this was the intention from the beginning. I don't want to like suggest anything nefarious here, but what seems to have developed is a bait and switch. 
So at first, they throw in all of the major big-time characters that people love. And now they're getting more into like the sub-characters and stuff like that. But it feels like that first saga, the Infinity Saga, was the bait. And now we've hit the switch. And this is the beginning of the switch. Because everything now is like trending in this kind of woke direction. All of like the gender related stuff, like they have to throw a little LGBTQ moment in here. We've talked about this before, how this stuff is um, required now if you want to even be eligible to win an Oscar. So sometimes they have to throw this stuff in just to throw it in, right? But overall, like there's this ideological trap that seems to be developing here. There's language that is kind of racialized against people of Caucasian, European background. There's this kind of disbalance between male and female, and maybe that has something to do with the Me Too movement. You know, in terms of like the writing, like sitting down and writing everything, it's just over and over again, there's all of these kind of woke things that keep showing up all over the place. And clearly that the people who are making this think that this is a winning strategy or they agree with all of these things. But what happens is, is it, it just feels now like you are being lectured more than being entertained. And if you don't like what you're watching, then you're the villain. You can't just like, I didn't like that movie and walk away from it. Social media is kind of skewing or trying to give people the impression they're a villain for not liking a thing. And listeners, I, I just don't want you to feel as though if you don't like something, you're a villain. You can like not like something or you can choose not to watch it at all. I mean, this is all voluntary. It's supposed to be entertaining. There are elements of this that are entertaining. There's parts of it that are kind of interesting and there's moments that are kind of heartfelt and it does progress a storyline. But in the end, how do you want to spend that three hours? Is this how you want to spend it? These are questions I think that are worth asking. You say that the bigger question for the grand poobah of Disney here, who's producing this, is profitability. Why do you say that? Well, you know, we've been talking about these two different sagas, right? The Infinity Saga and the Multiverse Saga, and that there have been these seven films now in this phase four. Not one of those films has been approved to be exhibited in China. And even that one of them is that Shang-Chi movie. So this is a big problem for Disney because that's a huge market and they're not getting a piece of it. So why is that the case? What is it about these films that are are not marketable or not being seen as okay to be shown in China? So does that mean they have to start trying to do things to pander to China? I don't know that that's the case, but just in terms of, in fact, it's that would be a bad idea. But just in general, the question is, if you start alienating your audience or you start trying to make your audience feel bad about certain things, you're going to lose people. And if you lose people, you're also going to lose their wallets and their attention and their financial attention. So are they painting themselves into a corner with this, both globally and in their own backyard? That, I think, is a concern. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. You can read Pastor Geese's review of Black Panther Wakanda Forever on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Ted, thanks. Thank you. 
On the other side of the break, it's This Week in Pop Christianity. Today we will take up Apostle Catherine Crick's teaching Touch Not God's Anointed with Pastor Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. What is eternal life? How do you understand it? How do you imagine it? We're full of all sorts of ideas of what eternal life might be like. And yet, the scriptures are clear. Eternal life centers on Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. The November issue of the Lutheran Witness explains some of these misconceptions about eternal life and what the scriptures say. So to learn more, pick up your copy of the November issue of the Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, teaching you to interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Spiritual and religious. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. Lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Luther Academy. <laughs> 